saving the world starts with you. And you don't have to be a superhero to get it done. All you need to do is be more sustainable and make your habits more environmentally friendly. Sustainable U is here today to show you how. Sustainable U is underwritten in part by Terhune Orchards, 330 Cold Soil Road, Lawrence, 200 acres of locally grown Jersey fresh fruits and vegetables with country style service. Rye University, Office of Sustainable Management and Bronx Go Green, Team Toyota of Princeton, Route 1 South Lawrence. Are you part of the team? Lawn Crafters, give your lawn a little TLC. And the Trenton Farmer's Market, 960 Spruce Street, Lawrence. The area's original and most trusted farmer's market, open all year round. Now let's learn how to thank Mother Nature for her nurture with today's segment of Sustainable You. 1077 The Bronx and 1077 thebronkcom live from Killarney's Public House Studios. This is Sustainable You. I am one of your hosts, Dean Riddle, and I'm joined by... Jaleesa Malvern. So I've got some really awesome news coming to you guys. So recently there was there was an experiment that was completed and it's still it's still really in the experimental stages. I don't think it's going to be anything that will become widespread anytime soon because it's so new. And you know, I gotta say, that is one of the biggest teases about like these new technologies is that they're all still experiments, and we never know when or if it's going to become like a mainstream thing. But anyway, getting back into it. So this new piece of technology that was developed, um, it actually is able to turn vegetable oil into biodiesel and plastic, actually. And wow. now I, I, I'm sure uh, maybe some of you might be thinking that the fact that it's able to like create plastic like isn't good, but... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little bit in depth about that. So, it's able to basically this machine. It like it goes into like the electrons and everything. Like it goes like super molecular into like the vegetable oil, and it's able to actually like separate it. It's able to separate it so it can create biodiesel and plastic, and it creates the plastic through uh, lactic acid. Lactic acid is created in the process. And what's really cool about lactic acid plastic is that it's actually biodegradable. It's actually biodegradable plastic. And the thing with plastic is that plastic itself is not biodegradable. So I feel like now if just that knowing that alone, just knowing that alone, that plastic acid can or I just said plastic acid, lactic acid can be used to make biodegradable plastic. I think that that could honestly be the future for making plastic. That could be uh, like kind of like an alternative for plastic because I don't really know. To I wouldn't be too sure if I would personally classify this lactic acid stuff as plastic, but it has a lot of plastic-like properties. It's it's waterproof like plastic. It's like it's as stretchy as plastic. It looks very similar to plastic. I, I'm not too sure if I'd call it plastic, but for you know what, for the sake of this episode, I'm going to call it biodegradable plastic because that's essentially what it is. Um, now, going on to the biodiesel part, and I'm sure some of you may know from previous episodes, I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of biofuel. Biofuel, I think, is one of the best options for renewable energy, and it's being severely overlooked by a lot of governments, which I get it. It's one of those technologies that it's really kind of it's underdeveloped. Um, it's still developing a lot. I, I understand why a lot of governments they choose solar and wind and hydro and you know uh, uh, atomic or whatever, nuclear, mm -hmm. nuclear. <laughs> My bad. 
Um, I understand why they choose all those because those are developed sources of energy. Those are developed sources, and they're still continuing to develop, but they're at a point where they're at least usable and dependable. Biofuel is one of those sources that it's like scientists talk about it, governments talk about it, but they don't really do anything with it because I I, I think what it is is that they're kind of – they don't really know what to do. They're, they're kind of afraid like what's the outcome going to be if everyone converts to this because then if everyone converted to biofuel – there'd be no more sale of gasoline or regular diesel or anything. I think that's one I think it's one of the biggest problems there too is that the government is looking kind of too much at the uh, the monetary aspect of it and we've talked we've talked last week about or maybe it was 2 weeks ago I'm not entirely sure but we talked uh, a week or two ago about how if we don't cut down our uh, our carbon dioxide and like greenhouse gas emissions then by 2030 as soon as 2030 mind you that is 12 years from now, people. That is mm-hmm. only 12 years from now. By 2030, we're going to have irreversible climate change. Um, like, the irreversible climate change isn't a good thing because um, really, really climate change, like, it takes a long time for the Earth to restore itself when it's um, gone in a warm state. Because if you look back historically, I remember studying that there's been global warming, but it's always occurred by nature. It wasn't induced by like an outside force, like um, em- emission by um people, like through um greenhouse gases, and it's um we've also gone through cooling right um um phases. I think there was like a um glo- there was global warming maybe in the 1800s, like early, or somewhere around there that time in um that era. But like it's not it hasn't been um induced by an outside force. And that's the thing. Uh. You know, there will be there will be climate deniers out there that will say, oh, the Earth just goes through natural cycles, which I'm not going to disagree with people when they say that, because you know what? They are technically right when they say that the Earth. It has been proven that the Earth does go through natural cycles. If you look at the Ice Age, that's a natural cycle of the Earth cooling. Mm -hmm. If you look at the very beginning of the Earth before there was really even anything on it, that was a super hot period of the Earth. And that's why there was nothing on it. Um, So. Those people aren't entirely wrong, but if you look at if you look at a graph from like total temperature increased from about the 1940s to right after World War II or during World War II even when production of like factories was like really high up there, you can see that we are on almost a linear increase, almost linear. It's not even like it's curved at all. It's like a linear increase in temperature increase by about like 2 degrees Celsius over that entire time period. And Mind you, that took about, that took, give or take, 60, 70 years to increase 2 degrees Celsius. And now we're reaching a point where we might increase another 2 degrees Celsius in only about 12 or 15 years. Yeah. So that kind of says a lot about where, not even just our society, but where the world is going in terms of using sustainable fuels. And even like with um, sustainability, um, even the if you look at the sun, I was I was thinking about like I was watched on History Channel. They say that the sun's half dead. I mean, okay, and maybe that's true. I I'm not gonna say I don't really actually I don't know that much about it. I think I heard something about that at one point. So but the thing is, is that <laughs> I'm not worried about that in my lifetime. I don't even mean, think it's not gonna happen. It's not. They said till another million years or something. Yeah, I, uh, I was gonna say I don't even think people like a hundred generations from now would have to worry about that yeah we'll be long gone before then 
But it is weird thinking that that we're living on uh, a planet that is entirely dependent on another star, on a sun. Because on a without sun. without that, we kind of wouldn't be here right now because we'd be really cold. And <laughs> going back to global warming, it, it the um global warming. We've become very industrialized in the past 150 years, 200 years. Like, oh, yeah. um, with, with, with the invention of the um, train, the transcontinental ran- railroad, um, airplanes, really everything like that. Um, and, and these are really good inventions and have um, simplified our life and made our life more um, um, conducive and travel and everything. But it, it's kind of been a downfall in what type of gases we use and i feel like if we could implement um the the use of more gas um gases that are eco-friendly like for instance um the like turning cooking oil into renewable fuels that's good or um like a hydrogen car or like electric car uh, yeah those are good hydrogen cars i swear wasn't there i think there was a car that came out not that long ago that actually is able to run off a of hydrogen i don't even know the manufacturer or the car but i swear one time I was driving. I was like driving along the road, and I saw a Wawa that had hydrogen pumps. It had a hydrogen Whoa. pumps that it could give to cars. And That's it's crazy so cool. because with with a, like with the new Wawas, it shows the red for the for the gasoline, and then the green for the diesel. But then below that, it showed blue for hydrogen. And I've never That's that so was cool. that was the only Wawa I've ever seen that at. I've looked. I've looked at every other Wawa like I've come across. I've not seen a single other one with that. And yeah. that's so cool. That's so cool that Wawa. I mean, Wawa is awesome, okay? I I, I love Wawa. I, I mean, I couldn't imagine life without Wawa, honestly. But they're doing they're doing a really good job and trying their best to really promote sustainability also in their own way. Giving people the option to refuel at their station for hydrogen is really awesome because I don't know where else you'd go to refuel for hydrogen. That seems like... That's one of that's one of the biggest issues with with these new like hydrogen cars and all that. Even electric cars, Even it's really hard to find places to um, charge. charge or refuel your cars. And I feel like that's uh, a really big deterrent for a lot of people, honestly, to get these cars because it takes so long for uh, an electric car to recharge fully. It can take like it can take like days, honestly. If you run that all the way down, it could take like up to a day or two to refill it. But I. I thought that um, they're making them where they could um, charge quicker. And, like, I thought that some some jobs were, like, thinking about opening up, like, chargers for the cars. You know that Rider actually has some of those, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. They were only put in, like, uh, a year or two ago. And that is so cool. And I see them being used all the time. It's really awesome that people are able to take advantage of that. And, or the smart cars, the little mm, tiny yeah. cars, those are good. Yeah, yeah. But they're just like um, they're a little small. If it's not your cup of tea, like I would say, go with electrical or hydrogen car. But or even a hybrid. Hybrids, hybrids are great. I got like nothing against. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not the biggest Prius fan. I I just don't like them personally. But there there's if you like Priuses, I mean, go for it. It's just it's not my cup of tea personally. But kind of going back on topic here, because I know we want kind of off topic for a little while but biofuels are such a cool there's such a cool concept really because it's fuel that can be used to fuel other things obviously but it's taken from something that was once living or in a way could currently be living and there are these machines that are able to use that and use that as fuel 
similar as to any other fuel. And in my opinion, that is 100% sustainability right there because you're using something that's kind of already been used and you're giving it another purpose almost entirely. There's almost no waste from biofuel. And that is one of my favorite things about biofuel because if you look at solar, I know I bash solar all the time. And solar isn't entirely bad. Don't get me wrong. Solar has a lot of good things about it. Just those the panels that mm-hmm. are used to um, generate the um, solar energy is not good. Yeah, because it's really hard to dispose of. But biofuel, there's almost no waste out of it. It truly is a 100% sustainable fuel. And this, I think, is a huge leap. This, I think this is a huge leap in the future of biofuel because biodiesel can be used in so many things. And anything that runs normal diesel, a lot of times they just need a little converter, but they can use that biodiesel as regular fuel, and it works almost just as well. So I'm super excited to see where this brings us in the future, and I really hope that this like machine, this process, is used to not only make this fuel, but the plastic too. Because plastic itself is a big problem. And if we can get biodegradable plastic, that would be awesome. And that would help a lot of our issues. But unfortunately, we are at a time on this segment of Sustainable You. We'll be right back. Whoever said it's not easy being green? Now let's get back to learning how and reduce, reuse, and recycle with Sustainable You. 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com live at Corny's Public House Studios. This is Sustainable You. I'm one of your host, Jaleesa Malvern, and I'm joined by Dean Riddle. So in the second segment of our topic, we'll be talking about Fujisawa, and it's a sustainable town in Japan, and they have um, all these um, implementation of um, change with basically a sustainable change, and um, they their um, goal is to make their town... Um, more environmentally friendly they like want to um, cut down greenhouse gas emissions and and stuff like that pollution and everything now fujisawa it is a it is a very new town i don't even think it's quite finished yet if i remember correctly i don't even think it's finished yet um it is it's developing though and it's actually near the end of it and i want to say it is a very beautiful town it looks super modern um and every house has solar panels on top of them which I know I was just bashing about a few minutes ago, really, but um, that's, you know what, honestly, solar panels are a lot better than burning coal to make mm-hmm. energy. They're a lot better, exponentially better. I I never want to make it seem like I totally hate solar panels because I don't. It's just getting rid of them is a bit of an issue, um, but solar panels are a really cool thing, and all these houses have solar panels. Um, and what else is really cool about it is that it is, it's a very like tight knit community and they do a bunch of stuff together so that they can all kind of, they can all kind of inspire each other to be more sustainable. Um, for example, they have like town meetings like every now and then and, uh, like they'll like do whatever they can. They'll have like these meetings and they'll make food together or whatever and they'll do it in like sustainable way, like no waste. Um, they grow a lot of food by themselves and they also they have a goal to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions or CO2 by 70%. And they also have a goal to individually for each person to be uh, carbon neutral. And it's um, and that's definitely um, a good way to um, coordinate um, sustainability when you have people who um, want to work together and bring about a change. You can definitely um, change it. Um, it takes like it takes like 
um, everyone to um, help change um, the the um, environment in which you live, and that's what their goal is. They said that like they they're they rep- represent a uh, um, a global citizen, and really all of us um, represent a global citizen because we all contribute to the um, welfare of our um, of our planet. Um, in terms of the environment, and um, they're looking at the broad perspective of a hundred years. Um, I know we don't look, um, think about what's going to be in another hundred years, um, in terms of s- sustainability. But it, it's a, it's really um, crucial that we do because if we continue on with um, just our our greenhouse gas emissions, like we talked about, it's going to um, really impact us for the worst. Yeah, I got to say, thinking about what the Earth is going to be like in 100 years from now, I mean, it's scary. I mean, look, you and me, we're not going to be here at that point anymore. Mm -mm. But just thinking about future generations, what they could potentially have to deal with. uh, You could be here in another 100 years. You could live to 120 maybe. You know what? If there's some crazy technology that allows you to live to 120, I don't even know. I, I don't even know if I'd want to do that because I just don't want to see how the earth is going to be at that point. Because here's the thing. I think that Japan and Fujisawa, they are an excellent model for a sustainable town. Everything they do is sustainable. There is almost nothing wasted in that town whatsoever. And all the citizens are like-minded. They all think about the future. They all think about their children, because this is a very family-oriented town. A lot of these people that live here, they have their own children. So it kind of they they take it from a point of view where they think about their future, mm-hmm. and they think that if they're living in this community where everyone's sustainable, then it's really going to help out the future of not only the earth but their own children too. Exactly. So that's the way they think, and that's a really smart way to think. And I feel like a lot of people just don't think that way. They don't think that way, and um, I feel like a lot of times I feel like the society we live in is very um, self-centered and um, self-serving. So, like when you're self-serving and um, self-centered, um, you kind of don't think about anybody but yourself. Like, and what 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 you have to do. Like, you're more um, like I feel like we're like so like self. There's a lot of self-gratification, and like what we um, what the technology we use. Um, and that's kind of um, contributing to some of the um, the the environmental um, destruction and like just really everything that's um, in their atmosphere, like greenhouse gas yeah. pollution, and that that that's a really bad thing to not think about the future. But like just Fujisawa, seeing them seeing them implement change through the environment is um, so wonderful, and it's amazing that. That they would take a um, take a um, step forward to um, want to implement that change to the environment because not a whole lot of people like we were saying um, do that and I feel like a lot of um, um, other other countries could definitely um, learn from that like America and China. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. Because looking into the future and you kind of looking back at what other generations did wrong, it it's very bittersweet because you realize how much other generations have done wrong, but then you also realize what you can do to help improve the situation. And that's one of the most bittersweet things about now compared to the baby boomer population 
I do apologize to some of you More that may be that may be classified in that that time frame. I, I do apologize, but it does go without saying that that general era they just were not as environmentally aware as we are now, and they did a lot of things back then that kind of really harmed the environment that we would never do now, mm-hmm. and we're kind of paying the dividends for it right now. We're we're kind of we're kind of paying for that everything that uh, that that era kind of did wrong and it's so important that we think because look i want to live if i if i put myself in the shoes of someone living say 200 years from now not not just 100 but say 200 years from now i would want to live in a place that's clean a a place that's bright a place that generally i want to live in i don't want to think of a of a dystopian society where it's just everything is just trash. I, I don't want to think about that. That's just depressing. That that's not the kind of atmosphere. The not not the kind of society that anyone should be living in. That that's not the t- kind of place that a human should be living in, or an animal, or really anything. I I like to put myself in the shoes of a future generation because I want to live the way they want to live. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good way to look at it, and I feel like that's the way these people do look at it because. They realize that it's so important thinking about the future rather than just thinking about themselves. Because when you think selfishly about yourself, that's when you're really doing the most damage. Sure, you can get that that pair of jeans that might cost 200 bucks, but was it produced sustainably? Probably not. I bet you not, honestly. I bet you that those jeans probably use so many dyes from... Uh, I mean, a lot of them are produced in like uh, like factory. in India or Vietnam or stuff like that. Or factory or artificially made. Yeah, yeah. And that's not good for the environment or like just even human health. And when you think about it, um, I feel like some people don't want to think about global warming or they want to like self deny it. Yeah. They they kind of don't want to. Um, oh, totally. Um, face it because they don't want to know that, um, what they're, what they're doing is contributing to the um. To the the, the um, welfare of the society and like they they think that um it kind of like they don't want to be guilty for it so they deny it and it's not good to live in denial of that because no, it's um it's, it's more it's more real than um you think yep and then you know what the worst part about that is that when they're in denial they'll just continue doing the same thing that they know probably isn't that good for the environment i bet you deep down these people in denial they know that they're doing something wrong. They just don't have the initiative to really make the change. And yeah. That's one of the biggest problems. And I get that because sometimes, you know, not wanting to change. Well, people – all right, so humans, I'm sure everyone has heard this. Humans are creatures of habit. Humans like to repeat things over and over and over again because over time it gets easier for, for us and we get more in the routine of doing it. And it just <laughs> seems normal for us. And humans <laughs> are typically afraid of change because – they don't know if there's going to be Nature. any any backdraws. They don't know if there's going to be any backdraws to that change. So people want to stay doing the same thing, but people need to realize that change at this point has to be made. I mean, again, I cannot repeat it so many times. 2030, that is only 12 years from now. 2030, we could be at a point where we're at almost nearly irreversible climate change. Yeah. Right. And that's scary to think of because you know what? That's not 100 years from now. That's not 50 years from now. That's 12 years from now, and that is very much so in our lifetimes. Very much. And, and it's something to really worry about because I don't I don't even want to think of, like, what it's going to be like in, in 2030 compared to now. I mean, 
Jaharta I can't. Yeah. Underwater. That's right. We did talk about Jaharta a while ago. Um, in Indonesia. I think it's in Indonesia. Yeah. yeah. The the water level is rising so rapidly there, and probably by 2030, they're going to be totally underwater. I don't want to even see what new, the coast of New Jersey is going to be exactly. like. Exactly. Um, like hopefully, um, my town won't um become a beach. Like I feel like it's going to become the beach and then like all like lbi and mm-hmm. brigantine and ac yeah. is going to be underwater i mean yeah I, I used to live right by seaside i used to so the last thing i want to do is visit it in 12 years and see that there's almost none of it left that would be the most upsetting thing ever to me but it's crazy because if you look at pictures of like atlantic city from the 50s to now you can see that like the water has risen like wow eight. it's like it's like creeped up the shore like a lot like there's a lot less beach now in Atlantic City than there was like 50 or 60 years ago. It's crazy. I've heard that. Yeah, and, and you can also see pictures of it in Miami too. Miami is another big one. In the um, Atlantic City, but although they said that some of those, um, I, I've mentioned it, some of those islands um, from the past they should have never been built on. Oh like yeah. The Mystic Islands. Yeah. Um, those shouldn't have been built. Um, LBI that shouldn't have been built. Cause you know what, they're it's like, too low. Yeah, they're not. The, like the, the man-made or like the built islands, they're not natural. They're not there for a reason. So, of course, they're gonna they're gonna go underwater in probably five, like ten years. They're probably gonna go underwater in ten years because the rate of the increase of water is so rapid at this point, and it's only gonna get worse. It's only gonna get worse. So, I don't really understand why these corporations, obviously money, obviously money, but it's like, what's even the purpose if it's gonna go under in ten years? They're gonna lose so much money off of that anyway i don't know i i'm sorry i got heated towards the end of that segment yeah. but yeah we're out of time for this segment of sustainable you but we'll be right back after a few short underwriting announcements only on 1077 the bronc and 1077 the whoever said it's not easy being green now let's get back to learning how and reduce reuse and recycle with sustainable you yeah! 1077 the bronc and 177thebronc.com live from clarence public house studios this is Sustainable You. I'm one of your hosts, Dean Riddle, and I'm joined by... Julissa Malvern. So, kind of turning gears a little bit from the whole doom and gloom from what we were talking about last segment with uh, irreversible climate change, there are actually a few things that you can do, or at least try to do, to help contribute to reducing climate change. So, unfortunately, though, we're at a point where if everyone were to just completely cease their, like their greenhouse gas emissions, that wouldn't quite be enough. That wouldn't quite be enough to uh, to stop the Earth from heating between like 1.2 degrees Celsius and 2 degrees Celsius, which mm-hmm. is a lot. 1.2 degrees, that's a lot. And most people don't think that like 2 degrees is much, but if you convert that to Fahrenheit, that's about like 3 degrees Fahrenheit. And that could do a lot, especially to the the ice caps and all that, to like Antarctica. You know, that could that could melt the, the ice and that would raise the sea level. And... That's one of the biggest issues. So one of the one of the things, first off, that the government is doing is with a lot of these corporations that actually there are machines out there that can physically remove CO2 from the atmosphere. They're, wow. just, they're just usually kind of expensive to do. But they the government— They need to implement them more. What was that? They need to implement them more. Yeah, I know, right? I didn't even know about it, really. I, I've heard about it. I didn't know it was really a thing, though, until I read this article. Um the government is actually giving $50 per ton of CO2 that's removed. And that doesn't sound like much, but there are so many tons of CO2 in the atmosphere. 
And with some of these machines, it only takes about $20 to extract a ton. So, and that's really cheap. I, I like, I'm trying to wrap my mind about that, around that. Like a ton of a, like of something being only $20, that's insanely cheap to, to extract a whole ton of CO2. So these companies can make $30 off of just helping the atmosphere basically. And that is, that in itself is a huge boost and a huge incentive for these companies to really go out there and start trying to remove as much CO2 from the atmosphere as they can because they can bring in 100 tons to the government, say, hey, we collected 100 tons of CO2 in a week or something maybe, and they get so much money off that. Um, so, and that's just one of the ways to help remove CO2 from the atmosphere because that would be the way right now that we can help reduce or reduce the damage from this whole 2030 crisis. Uh, we need to actually get rid of the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. So another way to do that is planting a whole bunch of plants and trees, mangroves really, planting a whole bunch of mangroves in like water or like marshy environments because these can actually reduce the amount of CO2 by about double. And, and that makes sense because um, we actually naturally, we emit um, CO2 just by talking, by breathing, and like we inhale oxygen and the oxygen um, that we um, um, we we need for our bodies um, that comes from plants and that comes from trees. So basically, it's a, a nice give and take relationship. Like we um, help um, plants grow, and they help us grow and stay alive. We keep each other alive, and just by planting more trees, it helps. Um, it, it'll help with this carbon um, dioxide factor because I feel like. I feel like when you cut down a lot of trees, not only is it bad for just like it's not um, feasible because you're making people cut down trees. We cut down trees for paper, toilet paper, mm -hmm. sheets of paper, and and just like everything like that. Wood, yep, um, building houses and lumber, but it's also bad because like um um you're just cutting down a lot of trees and you're destroying habitats and everything. But it's um bad for the environment, just CO two wise, because I feel that. When you have more trees, they can absorb more carbon dioxide. But when um, you don't, you have less trees, that makes the global warming worse. Oh, that's entirely right. And it's actually in this article, it was going to get a little bit more into that, but it seems as if you already kind of talked about it a little bit yourself. Um, yeah, and this article mentions planting more trees. I mean, I remember when I was in elementary school. I think I was in elementary school or middle school. I even went with my class to the Pine Barrens and. We planted over like a thousand trees in the pine wow. barrens. Yeah, as that, like nice. as like as like fifth graders or something, and like it's crazy because like we were just shown how to do it. It's actually so easy. It's actually so easy to plant trees. It's ridiculous. It, I, I, I kind of I don't know why people don't do it more because it's actually super easy. A lot of times you can go to parks and they'll have a whole bunch of saplings. They'll have a whole bunch of saplings that they just give you because usually it's volunteer like service and. They just give you saplings. All you got to do is just take like a shovel, make like a little indent in the ground, put it in, and then just put dirt around it. It's like, it's really so simple. I could do it as a fifth grader. If a fifth grader, Dean Riddle could do it, <laughs> then an adult, anyone could do it. Yeah. And same with that, like what you said about, um, um, early we talked about like, um, climate change is causing a lot of floods and everything and hurricanes and everything, a lot of this rain and peculiar weather. And um, cutting down trees, that creates, that just takes um, 
um the the, the absorption of water like the ability of that away it um yeah, that you have too. to make retention ponds and that creates a problem because you have um more mosquitoes that um congregate there but um and that's it goes against this it's not natural because it's just like um it, it just really is um not good for the environment because like trees help and plants help absorb water and when you're cutting down them you you have less um, absorption of water another issue with that in, in addition to what you said is that when you're cutting down all these trees you got to think those roots that go in the ground are holding in so much soil so when you're cutting down these trees a lot of companies end up pulling out well i don't want to say a lot because actually that's not true but some companies end up pulling out the trunks of the trees, which kind of hold in all the soil. So when you don't have anything holding that in, and even if they don't pull out the trunks, the, the trunks will eventually, they'll kind of just, they'll rise up. They'll fall out because there's nothing holding it down anymore. It's just a, a, a small stump of wood. Those roots hold in all the soil. So when that's gone, then you have the huge potential for like dust storms happening. I'm sure a lot of you know about the Dust Bowl uh, in... I don't even know when that was about the 20s 20s or 30s yeah. I think early late 20s early 30s yeah and that was devastating in itself that, that made it was nobody could grow plants there a lot of people got like really sick or some people even died because people they were died yeah famine and it was mostly in southern states yeah yeah throughout central the central Central-y. US like Midwest, literally like so literally like basically a straight line literally a straight line down the US um yeah, people would suffocate on the on the on the on the air basically. They would suffocate on the dust and all that. And we definitely don't want another one of that happening because we see how that was back then and the results of it weren't very good. And that kind of brings me I, I know we, we've been talking about it this whole time, but yeah, forest management. Don't cut down trees. Trees are kind of really important. They hold in the soil and they make oxygen for you by drawing in carbon dioxide. So they kind of are a big deal. We kind of need trees to live, people. Trees are are pretty important. Trees are definitely important, and we and we talked about forest management, like about um planting more trees. And they said like a um forest practices, agricultural practices, and they said that farmage farmers can manage their land, um and they could be cheap and effective by removing carbon from the air, and um these um include plant cover crops, which fields aren't being used to grow um commercial crops. They said it means growing crops to reduce tillage, and it will involve adding material called biocar. It's like a type of charcoal made from plant matter to the land, and I think that's cool. Like I never heard of that. Like neither bio, have I. Biocar, like um, fall um charcoal, like whatever it's called. But um, I didn't know that it's um, it helps like um with carbon retention. Yeah, because I guess basically what it does is they burn that biochar and. Believe it or not, plants need carbon to grow. Carbon is a very essential element. I mean, of course, we don't want it so much in our atmosphere, but carbon is literally everything on Earth is made of carbon. That's a fact. Everything's made of carbon. Um, Even people work. Yeah. But like, what when we're talking <laughs> or breathing, or yeah. it's just carbon. Uh huh. So what this does Ooh. it infuses more carbon in the soil, and it allows crops to grow much better. And oftentimes the the crops come out to be a lot like healthier than if they were grown like through conventional methods. And the last way that you can help to be sustainable is my favorite topic, biomass, meaning bioenergy. 
And I can't help but bring it back up because I love biofuel. Biofuel is such a great option for a fuel source out there. And it is up and coming, people. I'm telling you, it is up and coming. If there are stocks in some in some facility, some lab out there that produces biofuel, I'm telling you put money in it. I'm telling you put money in it because I know it's going to be the next big thing. But yeah, biofuel is a really cool thing. And it really kind of negates the, it totally nullifies the need for gasoline or coal or anything like that because biofuel can do everything basically in one way or another. Biofuel is such a broad spectrum, but it can do anything that basic fossil fuels can. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, we are at a time in this segment of Sustainable You. We'll be right back. Whoever said it's not easy being green. Now let's get back to learning how and reduce, reuse, and recycle with Sustainable You. 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronx.com live at Corny's Public House Studios. This is Sustainable You. I'm one of your hosts, Jaleesa Malvern, and I'm joined by Dean Riddle. So for our fourth and final topic, we'll be talking about um, BASF and basically their company and they're for um, improving um, the environment. And they said that they want to start the the, um, industry um, needs to start with the packaging industry. Because um, a lot of the package packaging industry is like food um, food stuff like um, you know drinks like soda cans, um, anything from chips, um, chip um, bags. Uh, like I actually have one here, <laughs> and um, like really anything like sandwich bags and um, stuff that you store um, your um, food food um, leftovers in. They're not that sustainable, and they're contributing to um um a lot of um, pollution in the um in our um earth see now actually and that is that is very true that's uh, i'm not saying what you're saying is false but the one cool thing about a lot of chip bags now is being produced and i think sun chips actually started this movement is that if you notice i i think your bag uh, i'm literally looking at jaleesa's bag right now um I think her bag is the same type of bag as Sun Chips because, like, it's a different kind of material. It's not like a Doritos bag where, like, it's glossy and, like, clearly 100% plastic, you know? It's, like, that kind of material where, like, it's really matte. And, like, those kinds of bags actually are biodegradable. They can biodegrade in two weeks. Wow. Yeah. And that's obviously not to say (laughs) go out and litter all your Sun Chips bags because, excuse me, (laughs) that's not really helping anything. But, um... But I think it's really cool, at least looking at uh, at chip bags. And also, I, I saw something maybe a few months ago. Uh, you know those those soda can rings that they put around, like the soda cans. Mm-hmm. Um, there are companies out there that are making like seaweed based ones, like not plastic based. You mean those um that go around your soda can? Those little um rings that you drink from. The the rings that like you you break them open to like get a soda can because like it like oh, contains the- them. Yeah, the ones that are super bad for the environment in the ocean. Yeah, those ones. The ones that I always harp on because they're they're so bad. Um, so although it it's kind of hard to avoid using them because let's be real now, it, it is so cheap for these manuf- these manufacturers to make it that they're just not going to stop doing it despite the environmental impacts. Yeah. And if you're looking at it from their point of view, it honestly makes sense. It honestly makes sense that they're continuing using the same methods they've been using, but this new method to make these these uh, these seaweed-based rings, they don't cost much more. They don't cost much more than, uh, than the plastic ones. And 
they literally like I've seen a video of it. Like they literally dissolve in water like in a few seconds. Wow. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about like animals choking on it or anything because it's just going to dissolve and turn into like like uh, I I don't even know. It's just it's not going to even like be a thing anymore, which is great. And even packaging um if you order off of somewhere like eBay, Amazon, um Overstock, like Walmart anywhere really, they'll send you a package and like I feel like in that in that sense of the packaging industry, I think they could be more sustainable. Oh yeah, like with, sure. With um um the cardboard boxes, yeah, like those um little um packaging, the Manila envelopes, they're not. I feel that as that bad, but um, they use plastic bubble wrap. They use a lot of um things like these plastic type packaging, um containers. And the thing is, if they can make, I I firmly believe in the fact that if they can make seaweed based uh, uh soda can rings then i think they can make similar stuff whether it be uh seaweed based or like soy based or plant based there there are plant based options out there to like in replacement to plastic there are options yeah. um or even if we if we talk about the the lactic acid plastic that we talked about at the beginning of the show that could now be an option that could totally be an option for like replacing plastic and that wouldn't need that would be a totally because that stuff's biodegradable too. That stuff's also biodegradable. So you got the the paper of the envelope, which is already technically biodegradable, and then you got that which is biodegradable, which is awesome. Even um when you think about it, um like we were talking about the soap last week. The, um, right. That that soap um they're making out of glass bottles. There could be um more um innovation of that. We could go back to that. Um also soda cans instead of using like um the the plastic type of soda bottles. In the aluminum cans, that we should um, use um, glass ones, and we um, go back to that. And maybe we could um, also use like our laundry detergent bottles. Those could be made out of a different biodegradable material, like we were saying. And we could jump on board with just um, like dishwashing liquid or like um, dish detergent, like for the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. And um, also for like just really everything we use, I feel is made out of plastic from our like what we use in our homes, to what just we um eat. Exactly. Um, I and I totally agree with that. I feel like everything that we really use now is made of plastic, and it's kind of really sad to think about that. That, that is so sad. We are such a plastic-based society now. It's like almost everything. Almost everything. I, yeah, I see plastic in literally every room that I'm looking at right now. There's plastic in one way or another. And it's just one of those things that it really can't be avoided. It just really can't be avoided at this point. Um, now, like, it can be debated that in certain scenarios, plastic is a better option because when you're producing, a, like, a car manufacturer, a car manufacturer, it is a lot lighter to use a plastic body than it is to use, say, an aluminum body or a steel body. They used to use steel bodies back in the day, like in the 60s and 70s. Those cars used to be made of steel. Those cars were so heavy, and they'd get about seven miles to the gallon. Wow. Yeah. So there there are pluses to plastic. Um, I think plastic – I here, my, my take on plastic is I don't think we would be – uh, in the society we're in today if it weren't for plastic. Plastic has done a lot to help us as a society. But I also think that we're at a point where we kind of need to, we need to say goodbye. We need to say goodbye to plastic. We need we to really, we need to uh, like move on from it, really. It's like, it keeps like haunting us and it's just going to continue haunting us. I mean, 
if you, I'm not sure if any of you guys out there know about this, but there's, and I know I've mentioned it before, there's a patch in the Pacific Ocean that is three, a garbage patch of plastic that is three times the size of France. Wow. Three times the size of France. So, that's horrible. Yeah, if you, I'm trying to think what country that would really be equivalent to. Um, That'd be like one, that'd be like a little over like one United States. It's like, the size of that is like over one United States, basically. Three times the size of France. Yeah. France is a lot smaller that's than the about, US. That's probably about the size of the US. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that That's still, that's crazy. That's crazy to think that there's something out there the size of the US just floating in the ocean, just all garbage, all plastic. And it's really sad to think about that because you think about all the animals, all the, the marine life that are being affected by that. Because... The harsh reality of is of it is that plastics once it's in the ocean it never goes away because the sun breaks it down then it turns into microplastics which are arguably even worse because you can't even really remove that that always stays in the water once it breaks down in the water it's always going to be in there mm-hmm. and it's it's really sad to think of um, and it's just um, I think we're so wasteful we want to be simple. Like we were saying, um, we want to be as simple as possible. I feel like we don't want to lift the finger. We don't want to do anything. Um, like um, what we want to um be so um, so simple. Like, but it's it's bad for um the environment in some ways. Yeah. Just like I know you don't want to wash dishes. Mm-hmm. I don't know you want to use paper plates. I know you don't want to um. You just you, you don't want to like use like these type of um materials that are really good for the environment but they're it requires more work and it's more time consuming i feel like they manufacture plastic just because it's um easier to um build yeah exactly in my opinion i think it's just if everyone took a small change switch from plastic to paper even i mean paper is better than plastic if everyone's able to do that Mm -hmm. then that would already cause a huge that'd be a huge benefit to the environment it's all these small changes adding up that make one big change everyone just needs to unite and make that one small change to do a big change. But unfortunately, on the end of that inspirational note, <laughs> we are out of time in this episode of Sustainable You, but we'll be back at the same time next week, only on 1077thebronc and 1077thebronc.com. You just heard the best tips on how to be sustainable, so go ahead and spread the gospel of green. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Sustainable You, Saturdays at 9 a.m. on 1077thebronc and 1077thebronc.com. If you want to listen to any replay editions, go to 1077thebronc.com and click on the Sustainable You tab on the homepage. You can even subscribe to our podcast. Just simply search Sustainable You on iTunes. Sustainable You is underwritten in part by Terhune Orchards, 330 Cold Soil Road, Lawrence. 200 acres of locally grown Jersey fresh fruits and vegetables with country style service. Ride University, Office of Sustainable Management and Bronx Go Green. Team Toyota Princeton, Route 1 South Lawrence. Are you part of the team? Lawn Crafters, give your lawn a little TLC. And the Trenton Farmer's Market, 960 Spruce Street, Lawrence. The area's original and most trusted farmer's market. Open all year round. Join us again for next week's edition of Sustainable You on Saturday at 9 a.m. And be one step closer to saving the earth without a carbon footprint left behind. Only on 1077 The Bronx.